You can take your Bibles to Judges chapter 6. Um, this was one, a message or a lesson that I've had on my heart, and I've thought about this for a while, and it's one of those things that was in the back of my mind, and I just said, when God gives me the open door to do it, I'm going to jump on and do it. And the more I started thinking about it, it just lined up. How many of you guys, and of course, we have people in person, then we have people online, and the people online have to interact with us differently than the people in person, so if you're online, you comment, and in here, uh, we can participate by raising a hand and things like that. Uh, but I love and grew up on Bible stories. So if you grew up on Bible studies, raise your hand, identify with that. So it was one of those things, you know, it was like you go to Awana, junior church, Sunday school classes, Bible school, whatever. We heard stories a lot. I grew up, I could tell you Daniel and the lions, that I could tell you the story of Gideon and Abraham and Isaac and all those kind of things. And it, I, I want to get to why God gave us stories in the Bible. It wasn't just a rule book. It's not just a principle book. It's not just ideas. But he would take people's lives and say, let me tell you what they did. Let me tell you how they lived. Let me tell you the adventures they went on. But they were biblical examples that lived out biblical principles for us to learn. And sometimes if you just tell the story and you leave out the Bible principle, then you left out the lesson that God was trying to give us. So these stories are given to inspire us. They're, they're given to us to teach us. They're given to us to do more than entertain us. It's more than just telling a fun story. And don't get me wrong, when my kids were little, uh, we did that a lot. We would, before they would go to bed, that's the thing to do. You know, I, I didn't give them like a five-point lesson on dispensationalism, but I would sit down and you know, explain to them, you know, like these Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and how they set up for God. But I, I want to pull those principles out for us to live. When we read a story in the Bible, we should be asking the question, what is God teaching me? What's the lesson in there? Not just what did God do, but what is God wanting me to live today? How does God want me to live that out in my life right now? It's not just a past tense, look at what God did for Daniel, but what is what God want to do through me? And how am I going to live out the lesson of the principle that I've learned? So the story that we're going to get into tonight is a battle. It, it's a war. And you're thinking, we're in the middle of a missions month. We're talking about this. A battle doesn't fit. But if you think in the regards of going to spiritual war, that's what we're doing. The Bible very clearly describes the world that we live in as having enemies. And we're fighting against, not against flesh and blood, against principalities and wickedness and all those things. So as we do this, this application, there's a lot of application of things that we want to learn from this. So these principles are very, very applicable to us. So God goes to a man named Gideon, and uh, I'm, 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 we're calling this lesson tonight, if you uh, didn't see it online and things like, the embracing the unexpected in the mission. Embracing the unexpected in the mission. Because a lot of times, as long as everything is going the way that I'm thinking or I'm expecting it to be, I'm okay with it. Until God does a lot of things that are unexpected, then we back off and say something's wrong. And, and I, I know just about every story that I've taught, I bring out these principles because it's in every story. Things never go the way you think they're going to go. They never do. Let me illustrate. 2020 did not go the way you thought we, things would go. Uh, anybody that's watching online would sit there saying, yeah, because normally I'd be there with you guys. I'm sitting in the Bible classes. I'd be going to life group right now. I'd be volunteering somewhere. It didn't go the way that I planned. But that doesn't mean that God's not working. So Gideon is not a warrior. 
Gideon, uh, God finds Gideon in this hole. Uh, I've got a lot of verses that we're going to read and a lot of applications, so we're going to jump into this. Let's go ahead and pray. Just ask that God teaches us as we go through this. And I, I want to wake up tomorrow and live differently. I, I want to I embrace and view life differently from what we learned tonight. So let's go ahead and pray and ask God to help us with that. God, as we gather and we look at your word and we study what the Bible is telling us, Lord, we just pray, Lord, that you'll help us to see the principles that you're, you're giving to us, Lord, to be able to live these things out. And Lord, it's so important that we draw closer to you as we come to church, as we open up our Bibles, as people are online and in person. And as we do this, Lord, it's, it's not just to fill this space. It's not just religious routines that we go through because it's Wednesday night. But Lord, we want to know you. We want to draw closer to you and we want to live differently because of what we read. So help us tonight to learn and to grow. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Second part of Judges 6.11 down there, it says, Gideon threshed wheat by the wine press to hide from the Midianites. Now I'm just going to point out something. Here's your introduction of this great warrior of God. Okay, where is he at? The wine press would have been in a hole. And the reason why the Bible says that he was hiding from the Midianites because he was hiding in a hole. He was, he was, he was in a spot threshing the wheat and he's going through this process that we're doing by hiding. He's not out there as a warrior and things like that. And so the Bible's pointing that out. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Now, I would not call a, a, a dude hiding in a hole a mighty man of valor. That's not, that doesn't line up there. But you've got to understand, God was looking at him as his potential, not just where he was at. And so I, I want to, first point right here is God uses unexpected people. And you want to know what God does is he does the work of God. God uses the people that you would probably least likely think that God would use. That is how God uses that. That's a great principle for us to understand in life. If, if you're looking for leadership and people in church and your family and, and, you know, ministry and even jobs and things like that, Gideon has major doubt that he's even qualified. It wasn't. He's sitting there going, are you sure? Look with me, verse 15. And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh. I am the least in my father's house. He literally follows up with this description. He says, ah, you got the wrong guy. He said, you, you need to understand my family is poor and I am the least of the least when it comes to these people. He describes this. And I'm pointing this out to you because a lot of times I think we rob the mission of God because we think or we write ourselves off or we write other people off as not being qualified. You know, it's like somebody comes behind, as the stand of the pulpit or preacher, stands in the worship team or gets a position, you know, in, in, in working somewhere or maybe with you or whatever you're thinking, they're never going to make it. You know, they're rough around the edges or they have a background or whatever. Let me remind you when God calls Saul that we were talking about on Sunday and Paul, the first thing that they were like, they were like, this dude is a mess. And God says, I know he is, but I've got great plans for him. God calls the unexpected. God will blow you away with who he's using in ministry. It says in verse 6, And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will bless thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. God calls the unqualified so he can qualify the unqualified. God does the work in doing that. I think God loves the shock value. I really do. I, I think God brings somebody in the church to, to bring it among the people, and everybody's going, you know, like, 
What, what could they ever do for God? And I'm not saying that we're judging people like that, but human nature, we've got this image of what leaders look like. You know what I'm saying? It's just, it's just what we do. And, and I think God loves the shock value. I think that's one of the reasons why God used Paul so much because everywhere he went, they were like, wow. I mean, it, there was a shock value with that. Listen to what 1 Corinthians uh, 1 says in verse 27. But God had chosen, God has chosen his choice, the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. So if you're thinking, I am unqualified, not good enough, not skilled, not, 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 go ahead. I am telling you, you are a prime target for what God can use to do great and mighty things. Amen. That, that, that's the, you need to know that. God, a principle that God wants you to learn from that from the very beginning of this story is God calls the unexpected. And I think about this, how is God going to reach our city? And I'm going to get into this a little more. How would God reach our city? God has to stir up the people that are sitting there saying, not me. Gideon was like, not me. The reason why this whole nation was changed by this story is because God chose the one from saying, not me, to the one, okay, God, I'll do it. And if we don't have that transition and everybody walks out of church services one after another with the idea, well, I'm sure that message was for somebody, or I, got, I hope God calls somebody, then we've missed it because God's calling everybody. And it doesn't matter if you think you're unqualified or not. Here's a problem. The problem is we read a lot of Bible stories, but we've never learned our lesson from the Bible stories. It's not about knowing Bible stories. It's not about knowing Bible stories, about living the principles behind the Bible stories. Let me throw some out at you. David and Goliath, what was the story? God uses the unqualified or the one that you least expect. What was it with Paul? He was the chiefest of sinners. God used what they weren't expecting. God called Moses. He was on the backside of the desert. He uses the excuse when he called him. I'm going to use you to let the people go. He says, I can't even speak. Wrong guy. Can't do it. I'm not qualified. Think about the disciples. Where were they? They were fishermen. They weren't life changers. They, they, he didn't go and call like the, 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 the ones that had all the education and all this. He, he called fishermen. We have got to quit with the excuses. See, the principle is God gets glory by using the unexpected. God gets the glory by using the unexpected. And we'll read that here in a minute. If you can say that with God calling people or using people or rising people up or somebody coming to the altar one day or coming in front of the church and saying, man, I feel called to preach. And you're thinking, really? What? God loves it when people stand back and say, I didn't see that coming. And God says, yep, that's right. I love you. I love working in that way. God calls the unexpected. When God touches your heart, don't make excuses. Just follow God. So here, Gideon from there asked God for a sign that we have the story of the fleece, and a lot of you grew up there, and they put it on there, and it was wet around it, but not the fleece, and then the fleece was wet, and then the dew was around it, and he did it vice versa, and then God brings this army together, and they start with 30,000. 30,000 is nothing in regards to what we're about to face, okay, just to put that. Verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 1, then Jerubbabel who is Gideon, as we just call him Gideon, because the other name's too hard. God, God did that for me. And all the people that were with him rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod, and the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them and on the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand 
has saved me. It's one of the reasons why God calls you unqualified is because God says, I want the glory, not, not your talent, not your ability. God will lead you to do things when you don't have money financially. We're talking about missions thing. I don't have the money. God says, that's perfect. Because if you did, you would get the glory because of how hard you worked or your job success or whatever. No, God wants us to step on in faith to say, I had nothing and God still provided. And God says, there you go. God gets the glory for that. Verse 3, now therefore go to proclaim in the ears of the people saying, whosoever is fearful and afraid, let them return and depart from the Mount Gilead. In return of the people, 20 and 2,000, there remain 10,000. So the first thing we learned is God uses unexpected people. Number two, God calls us to do unexpected things. Everything in this story is unexpected. So if, if you're saying, I think we're getting that theme, uh, uh, every point of this story is unexpected. They were going up against a, a, a group that is just described in the Bible. As it's, it uses different things. It uses a host. Now, a host is like tens of thousands. I mean, I, I can't even put it in the words. It's not even when the Bible talks about a host of angels and things like that. It's a crazy amount of people. So when the Bible is saying 30,000 and they knew there was a host, if you would have saw the Midianites, you would have been standing back saying, I can't even, where, where's the people at? It's, it would look like a sea of people. It was just crazy the amount of people they were going up against. So you've got to understand that. But I want to pause for a minute because we are not fighting Midianites. That's not what we're doing. So if we, don't, if we just keep going with the story, we just say, well, wait a minute. What is God teaching us through this? We're going to miss this part of the story. God has called us to fight a spiritual battle, which is reaching Columbus, Ohio. That is our goal, to reach our neighbors, to reach our families. That's what we do. We find our mission field around us and say, we want to give each of them the gospel, but in our minds we say, it is honestly impossible, or it's never going to work, or there's never a way that this group of people that meets on Sundays in this place and online and stuff is going to go out and reach all these people in these zip codes. And just like, there's just no way. Because in our minds, it doesn't add up. It's just, that's just crazy. If I was to say it, if I was going before you and say, I really believe that we could take the area around Columbus or the area around the church, if those people living in the shadow of our church, and I think we could give every one of them the gospel. And, the, and people would be like, amen, out loud. And in their mind, they're going, that's crazy. But amen, good for you, pastor. That sounds really good. But reality, when you start counting doors and heads and everything like that, it, the numbers just don't add up. It's just too big, and you're just being too zealous. But here's the thing. God keeps dropping the army down to a smaller number and still emphasizes how big the opposition or how big the other side of this is. The, the thing is, if I was Gideon, I would be like, they're all here. Why didn't you just not bring them here to begin with? You know what I'm saying? He's like, gather them all together. Now send them home. <laughs> it's like, why did you do that? You got to understand that God was teaching a principle even through that. See, there was an Old Testament law in Deuteronomy 20 verse 8 that Gideon and God was organizing this thing. And they said, and the officers shall speak there unto the people and they shall say, what man is there that fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go and return into his house, lest his brethren's heart faint as well as his heart. So what he was saying there, he says, fear rubs off. It rubs off. He said, I can't even, I, I can't have those people standing around going, oh man, I appreciate what Gideon's trying to do, but you know we're all going to die. That, that, I mean, God was saying, listen, that, I, I can't have that attitude going on. 
God's looking for faithful people that have faith in God, not a crowd of people that are just going through the motions. It, it, it's teaching us through this. Here, here's a principle too. God cannot use men that are controlled by fear. Do you know why that is? Because fear is dangerous to the mission of God. When Christians will start listening about vision for reaching people and start saying in the back of their mind, that ain't going to happen, that's crazy, that's too big, God's being, whoa, 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 wait, you, you need to back off because you never, never need to hinder and take that fear. Because the Bible says this, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. So in their mind of saying, there is no way, God says, well, wait a minute, I didn't give you that. For you to sit there and say, there's no way, and that doubt, and that, that, I didn't give you that. So you better stop right there with that. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of what? But of love and of power and of sound mind. Sound mind is literally God saying, if God be for me, who can be against me? And I think about that story at the beginning of it when God said, I called the, uh, to take down the Midianites, a, a man of wine. I almost think God was saying, Gideon, if I only have you at the end of this, I'm still going to win. I, th- this isn't going to be a matter of winning or not winning. F- see, fear makes us think on man's terms instead of God's terms. Let me give you the perfect illustration. Peter gets out of the boat. He's doing living miracle. He's walking on water. When did he sink? When he began to look at the circumstances around him and he took his eyes off of God. It's the same thing with us. God was saying, I'm going to lead you into this army, but the minute you guys start looking at how outnumbered you are rather than how great God is, you are going to fail. There's a danger to this. So is Gideon afraid? Yes. God emphasizes that even after this. But the difference is of those that went home is the fact that Gideon stayed there. Guys, it's not a matter if God calls us to do something big and crazy and stepping out of the boat and whatever. It's not a matter of in the back of your mind going, I don't know. It's a matter if that controls you. It's a matter if that takes over. That's what matters. We need to understand that. You are flesh you are going to have doubts and fears because it's human. It's just a matter of what wins and rules in your heart. That's why the Bible says he's not given us a spirit of fear, but of a sound mind. We go, wait a minute. Man, God's called us to this. We cannot fail. We've got to check ourselves with that. God's not looking for perfect people. He's just looking for people that have a heart and a trust for God. Because by the way, Peter still fought, uh, walked on water even though he fell. Jesus walked him up. And, and it, actually, you could say that it got better because Peter was like, I walked on water. Could it get any better than that? He goes, actually, it can. Then I walked on water with Jesus. <laughs> I walked back to the boat arm in arm with my God. It's just amazing. So here it is, verse 4. And the Lord said unto Gideon, the people that are yet too many, bring them down to the water and I will try them for there, and it shall be that of whom I say unto thee, this shall go with thee, the same shall go with thee. And whosoever shall say unto thee, this shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. Lord tells Gideon these next things. He, he brings them down to a test, and he's eliminating people. He's getting it down to a smaller group. And I'll show you there's a reason for it. There's a principle behind it. God brings them down to the water, and if they get down on their faces, then they lap up the water with their face rather than bringing the water up to them like a warrior would do. He said, send them home. There's a lot of principles behind it. I don't have time. It's not the point right now. But the idea is that God was eliminating it down to 300. You go from 30,000 down to 300 is 
crazy different. I mean, you literally go from a, a congregation of people to a handful of people is what's going on here. So verse 7, and the Lord said unto Gideon, by, by the 300 men that I lapped, will I save you and deliver the midnights in the hand and let all the other people go, every man unto his, his place. So now they're down to three people. So here's the principle. This is awesome. The principle is found in a song and a principle that we've grown up, and that is simply this, little is much when God is in it. And he said it there in the verse. He said, by 300, I will deliver you from them. God was literally saying, it's not about the number. It's about the obedience of what God can do. We make it so much about the number, don't we? We, we, we? we pull out our calculators, oh, that won't work. We do the math, no, that won't work. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, that won't work. It's, I, I, a few months ago, and this has been really consumed on my, my mind, I, I taught the, the lesson of Peter walking on the water. I've referenced that a lot. But when did Jesus teach him to get out of the boat? Middle of the sea, the darkest part of the night, in the middle of the storm. God said, it's the worst of the worst of the worst. And God says, perfect timing, get out of the boat. You know, right there in that spot. It just just to, for us to understand, it doesn't matter. Don't, don't look at the circumstances around. And God's great even in the middle of the storm. We, we should understand that even in the middle of COVID-19, we serve an amazing God that's not hindered or held back by what God wants to do of reaching people. He's not hindered at all. You, you guys can probably say, and no, there's a bunch of stuff that's big time on my heart, and I really want to talk right now. There's so much that I really want to say, but you have to come Sunday to hear it. You have to come Sunday, because I tell you, having vision of reaching the world has got to be part of what we know. It's got to be the heart of what we knew, not just part. It's got to be the heart of what we do. See, in our words, we say there's just no way. But see, God specializes in work in times when we say there is no way. When man sits around saying, there is no way, God says, ah, now I'm ready. You know, it, it's, just, it's just what God does with that. So it's, it's made little is much when God is in it. So what do we learn? I, I told you guys, we, we read stories all the time and then we don't get it. You say that you're just pulling this out of this and you're just trying to make a point with this. Okay, let's just stop for a minute. There's a story of God feeding thousands of people with two fish and five loaves. What was the story of that? Little is much when God is in it. That, that's, that's the point of the story with that. You, you think of how often we have stories and things in the Bible when it comes to that, with the widow that gave her last coin and things like that. Uh, the difference is when you give it to Jesus, it's amazing what Jesus is able to do with those things. Here's another principle, same thing, or another illustration that Matthew seven twenty and Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for verily I say to you, if you have the faith as a grain of mustard seed, little, Okay, that's, he's just pointing that little. I'm going to show you the little part of this. Ye shall say to that mountain, remove hence to be yonder place, and it shall remove. And nothing shall be impossible unto you. Little is much when God is in it. So have it in your mind. When, when God brings you to something and you start doing the math, God says, throw out your calculator and start looking to God. Because little is much when God is in it. God can take a small church and do great things. God can take your small steps of faith to do great things. God can take small steps of you even learning to tithe and give and support missions. And you say it's not much. God says, you know what? It's not about the size of it. It's about the heart behind it because little is much when God is in it. 
When you step in and give your talent and your time and you say it's not much, God says, but you're doing it from your heart little as much when God is in it. Here's the next thing. Judges 7, 9, and it came to pass the same night. The Lord said unto him, Arise, get thee down to the host, for I have delivered into thine hand. But if thou fear to go down, go with Pura, thy servant, down to the host. Now I'm going to show you something. Here's the third principle. God works through unexpected ways. God works through unexpected ways. Now this is really the key to this, and this is cool because a lot of times when we sell the, tell the story of Gideon, this is the part that we skip over. A lot of times we don't tell this part of the story, but I want to throw this in there. This is the grace of God that you're seeing right here. This is the tenderness of God. This is God saying, you know what? I've called you. You're doing this. I've got a little bonus segment for you. I'm, I'm just going to show you how awesome I am. So here it is. He, God, God has this uh, heart to show him something. So in verse 10, he says, But if thou go down, go thou with Pura thy servant down to the host. Why is God doing this? See, it's about what God is about to show him. So everything that we're reading in this story is a miracle. You guys, if, if you read the story of Gideon, it's an absolute miracle, okay? We, we know that. But this is what we often leave out of these things. The principle is the Spirit of God works in ways that we cannot explain. When I say little is much when God is in it, because it's the Spirit of God working through the little. When little is much when spiritual efforts and your talent and whatever you're doing, it's not because of the greatness of what you did. It's because there's a spiritual, mighty, powerful God working through the little. He's going to teach him this. He said, verse 11, And thou shalt hear what they say, and afterwards shall thy hands be strengthened to go down into the host. And when he went down to Pura with Pura and the servants unto the outside of the armed men that were in the host, and the Midnites and the Malachites and the children of the east lay alongside the valley like grasshoppers for a multitude. The Bible's describing how big they were. And their camels were without number as the sand by the sea for a multitude. So here's this story. How cool is this? God says, this is what I want you to do, Gideon. He said, I want you to take just one, one guy with you. That's it. I want you to leave your group of 300. You're going to crawl down all the way into the host of the middle of where they're at. And I've got something that I want to do with this. So here's what God's doing. God was directing him in a divine way. God brings him down into this spot that only God could do. I want you to see this. Only God could have done this. The place was covered in tents everywhere. The Bible literally describes it as the sand of the sea, a multitude, a host of people, all these things going on, leads them to one specific tent. God was protecting him in a divine way. and says, outside of the armed men that were in the host. God literally says, let me show you how cool I am. Let me show you how powerful I am. I'm going to have you walk right into the middle of it. They're never going to be able to touch you. That was God showing only God could do that. You realize that there's so many things that God does that God just pulls back and says, how'd you pull that off? And say, God, I, I have no idea. Where'd you get that money? God, I have no idea. How'd you pay for that? God, I, I, I have no idea. To where we turn around and say, man, I, I serve an awesome, amazing God. Only God could have done that. See, the third thing is God was teaching him in a divine way. So Gideon sits outside of this tent. And it's almost like God whispers to him and say, right there, stop. Now thousands, tens of thousands of tents, and God has him stop at one. Gideon sits down in the mud or the grass or wherever he is sitting outside of there. He goes, now what, God? Why, why do you have me here? And when Gideon was come, behold, there was a man that was told a, a dream unto his fellow. So this dude wakes up. He, he's in the tent. And he wakes up and he says, hey, man, wake up. I've got to tell you something. 
And he said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the, the host of the Midian, and, and it came to a tent, and smote, and it fell, and, and overturned it, and the tent lay along. Now, now, this was weird terminology, and them using the analogies of what's going on of this. And, and he, he has this weird dream that he starts describing, and Gideon's going, wait a minute. That sounds like me and kind of my story of what's going on. And his friend wakes up and he interprets the story and he says, that's weird. He said, I don't even know how I know this, but let me interpret this weird thing for you. Verse 14, and his fellows answered and said, this is nothing else save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash. Can you imagine being Gideon by the edge of that tent? And he goes, he knows my name. That dude just said my name. He just described me and who I was and where I came from. He said, you're talking about the sword of Gideon. You're talking about the power of Gideon, a man of Israel. For into his hand, God delivered Midian and all the host. Now, I'm going to ask you guys a question. Who made that guy have that dream? It was God. Who interpreted that dream? It was God. How did Gideon know which tent to go to? It was God. How did Gideon know how to get through those guards and where to stop and all this other stuff? Every, all the timing and every detail of that, well, that was all God. See, the thing that we're trying to explain and prove, that it's never about us. God's saying, I want to do miracles. And we sit there and say, raising the dead and all the things that we read in the Bible. God is still in the miracle business. For somebody that is carnal and addicted to drugs and out there and says that I'll never go to the church and I don't believe in God and all this, and you're sitting there saying, well, they're a lost cause. Man, don't rule out God. Don't sit there and say that God can't. God was sitting there saying, how did all that happen, Gideon? I go before you. I work in the hearts and minds of people. I do what you cannot do. I speak in ways that you cannot. I protect you in ways that man cannot. God, that was all God. All over that thing, it was God. When God calls you to do something that doesn't make sense and it just doesn't add up and you throw out the calculator and you draw it out in every way and nothing adds up whatsoever, then you know that God must be at work and God's going to get the glory because there's no way man can do it. But God loves the work that way. God loves the work that way. Read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. That is how God works. And in our modern Christianity, when God brings us to something that's unexpected or weird or different, we're sitting there going, that won't work. And I think we miss out on miracles of God all the time. Because we're more or less, that's, that's not, a, that, it doesn't work that way. I can't do that. That doesn't add up. Blah, 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 blah. And God says, why do you do that to me? Why do, you, why do you tell the story of Daniel if I'm not able to shut the mouth of lions? Why do you tell the story of the Red Sea if I'm not able to make a way when there seems to be no way? Why do, why do you tell the story of provision? Why do you tell the story of manna if I can't? Quit telling stories if you're not going to believe the principles behind the story. Amen. We've got to stop being storytellers and start being Bible believers. It's not about stories. It's about the God of the story. It's not about being entertaining and how cool that is because we made a cartoon out of it for kids. It's about living that in 2020 in a world of chaos and that's a mess. The Spirit of God goes before Gideon. The Spirit of God goes before us. I think God could transform the city if we would just get out of the hole and believe God. And, and when God says, I've called you to do something that's unexpected to believe it. Verse 15, and it was so when Gideon heard the telling of the dream... And the interpretation thereof, that he worshipped. 
you go back to the beginning of the story, you find a man that's not worshiping whatsoever. Why has all this happened to us? And where is the God that we're supposed to be this redeemer? Where is this God at? And now he's sitting there on his knees because God it made him encounter these unexpected moves of God. And I'll tell you, you want to see a church come alive? You want to see a generation come alive? You want to see revival happen and, 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 and prayer altars filled? You want to see tears as people worship? You want to see lives changed? You want to feel the presence of God? Get up and do something out of your comfort zone. Follow God when he tells you to do something crazy. Be willing to get out of the boat. Cross the Red Sea. Do these things that you read about, but live them out in 2020 and see how our worship changes because we'll experience and encounter an amazing, real, alive God and not just a storybook, but a living God that's still doing those things today. I don't know what this looked like, but I know in the middle of that, he said, I heard these things and all of a sudden you see this Christian, this man of God, this person on the side of it, probably weeping with his hands up, saying, I'm sorry I doubted you. And God, I'm sorry that I didn't think that you could do this. And I regret, God, I'm sorry. It changes your perspective. It's encountering God. It's encountering a living, amazing, powerful God. And he returned unto the host of Israel. He returned to the host of Israel. He returned to the host of Israel. Wait a minute. No, 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 Gideon. You messed up, dude. You're not returning to a host. You're returning to 300. Not in Gideon's mind anymore. My army's bigger. He's now referencing them not as the 300, but the host of the army of God. Because if God be for me, who can be against me? His whole perspective changed. Because the fact is that God showed up in the middle of that to say, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Gideon got up and was like, no, no, no. I'm not leading an army of 300. I'm leading the army of God. And he says in that, I returned to the host of Israel and said, arise, the Lord hath delivered into your hands the host of the Midianites. Confidence. Now don't forget He's a scaredy cat crawling in a hole, complaining to God, saying, I'm not the guy. This is worship. So amazing. Here's the, God changed his perspective. God changed his view of this, of all these things going on. Verse 14, God, God he said, and all the host. It was, it was a matter that he understood what was going on with this. We serve an amazing God that's going to conquer all of our enemies through this. It's not, not one left unturned. Change our perspective. Let me close with this one. God uses unexpected methods. Now this is fascinating. This is the coolest part of the story. This is the one that we point out all the time. It's so neat. But the why? The why, the why, the why? Because it doesn't make sense up front. It just doesn't. They are lined up to receive their weapons and they're probably going, dude, there's only 300 of us. Whatever God has planned, it must be huge. I'm just telling you, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know what God has planned, but I can't imagine what we're about to get to bring these down. So how good are you with the sword? Man, I'm not that great, but obviously I'm going to be really good with the sword here in a minute because God promised that we we're going to bring them down. You know, they're, they're figuring it out. And then they're just like, all right, here's your pot of clay. Okay. Here's, here's your torch. All right. And here's your trumpet. It's like, all right, where's my weapons? That's what God said to give you. So just line up. And you're like, we're never going to get anywhere with this. 
See, in man's perspective, we have one way of fighting the battle. And I, I, I even pointed that out a while back. I just thought it was so cool with David and Goliath, how God sat there and they, they fought with the sword all the time. And God says, no, not this war. I'm going to bring out a sniper. And God brings out a sniper and brings them down because of the fact is that Goliath could have just brought his sword down. I was like, dead, dead, dead. You know, and like they knew that he had that reach. And God said, I have a plan. I'm going to do this one different. I'm going to, I'm going to bring a young man that doesn't even have to get close and long range missile, you know, it's like brought him down from there because God did something that was unexpected. God's doing it again. It's, it's a trumpet. And they divided, verse 16, and they divided into three companies and he put a trumpet in every man's hand, an empty pitcher, and a lamp within the pitchers. It's like, this is weird. That's, this is when we go into critical mode. This isn't going to work. This doesn't make sense. It's like getting out of the boat in the middle of the, the, the stormy sea. This doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. God works in mysterious ways. God's going to give you things to do and put things in front of you that you're simply going to say, in my mind, I don't know how in the world this would work. And he does it all the time. God, I know how I think it should work, and God, I know how I feel this would work, but God, what you're giving me, I can't, I can't even add this up to a, a, a torch, a pot. What, what do you want me to do, throw water on them? I mean, God, what, God, and when we do that, we start taking and analyzing and picking it apart, like, how would this work? And you know what I'm saying? It's just human nature. We've got to figure it out. God says, you're not going to figure it out because your just job is to trust and obey and follow me. That's, that's what we're to do. Trust and obey. It's faith. It's faith. God will lead you to do crazy things by faith. Crazy things. Verse 17, he said unto them, look on me and do likewise. And behold, when I come to the outside of the camp, and it shall be that, as I do, so shall ye do. When I blow with a trumpet, I shall all that were with me, then blow ye the trumpets also on every side of all the camp, and say the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Now stop right there. Why did God say the sword of the Lord and of Gideon? Have you ever thought about that? And to be honest, I had never thought of this until this day. Why would the name Gideon be so powerful? I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's like there's a Jehovah God or whatever, but they announced the name of a warrior. But don't forget, that one guy had a dream and said, we will be destroyed by a man named Gideon. You think about it. Maybe that rumor spread. Maybe more than one person had that dream. I don't know. And I'm not saying, I'm not trying to add to Scripture whatsoever. I'm just saying, put the dots together. Something was going on. Something had to be said that maybe something like that. And they were like, oh, he's here. You know, like the chosen one. Or, you know, I don't know. He's just like... That's the name we heard. That's the rumor I heard or whatever. But God works in mysterious ways like that when he does things. And so Gideon and the hundred men that were with him came unto the outside of the camp and beginning at the middle of the, uh, middle of the watch. That is vital to this. And they had newly set the watch. That's vital to this. And they blew the trumpets and break the pitchers that were in their hands. So lamps within the pitchers. So all of a sudden, here's what's going on. Our flesh would have told us to do the opposite. Creep up on the enemy, be quiet, and don't light the torch. You know what I'm saying? Don't let them see you. Don't make a noise. They do the opposite. They pull the torch out of the, the, the clay pot. 
All of a sudden, these lights come up, making it look like there's war all around them. Then all of a sudden, they take the clay pots, they throw it to the ground. And, and at that moment, they stand up and they yell simultaneously, the sword of the Lord of Gideon, and they start blowing these trumpets, doing all this. You say, what was going on? See, God knew what he was doing because God's already down there knowing. God's up there with his timer saying, not yet, not yet. They've got the changing of the guard right now. And what happened is they had the changing of the guard. The Bible says, and the three companies blew the trumpets and break the pitchers and held their lamps in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands to blow with all. And they cried, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And they stood every man in his place and around about the camp. And the host ran and cried and fled. And 300 blew the trumpets. And the Lord said, every man sword against his fellow, even throughout all the hosts. And the host fled. So here's what's happening, because if you start putting the pieces together, what God was explaining, they were doing the changing the guards so the people were getting up out of bed to go and swap things. So there was commotion and people going all over the place. And one of the scholars that read it, and they said what would have probably been happening at the same time as the way that the Bible described it, said that the camels were as the sea of, or sands of the sea. They were everywhere. And they said there's a good chance that one of the things that happened is they were making all that commotion. It probably spooked the camels, and they were running everywhere. What God did was create commotion. The ones that were coming back from their post of there, they rise up fighting them, thinking that the enemy's invading them because they're just coming from the, the hedges around them, coming back to their tents. But for them, it looked like people were attacking them. You see, God knows all that. God knows what's ahead. He knows what our finances are. He knows what the economy is. He knows who's going to be president. He knows who's not going to be president. He knows, what the, the, you know, he knows what's going to be in your 401k down the road. He knows what talents you have. He knows who's going to bring it. God has it all figured out. It's not your job to figure it out. Trust in the Lord with all thy heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. God was taking care of it. And they stood every man in his place round about the camp and all the host ran and cried and fled. And here's the army of Gideon. Oh, <laughs> I mean, that's all they're doing. They're just standing there screaming, and they're like, we're doing it. <laughs> we're winning. They didn't get a scratch on them. They, they, they didn't have to do one thing. God, God, went behind, God went before them. God worked it all out and everything. So let me just recap. We're, we're talking about missions. Reach the world. Reach Columbus, Ohio. Let's reach our neighborhood. Let's reach our friends. And we're sitting there going, eh, they don't want to work. There's so many of them. Honestly, there's not enough of us. Look what we have. We don't have much. And we completely rule out the God that can do anything with any one of any quantity of people because he is God. Amen. But how did he do it? He used unexpected people to do unexpected things in an unexpected way with unexpected methods. You say, why? Because what an awesome God we serve. So I'll tell you what. I don't know what our future holds and some things might come that are just totally unexpected. You say, why? Because it's 2020, people. I have no idea what the future holds for us or for America. But I know this, it doesn't matter because God is in control. That's right. And God still does the most amazing things when we think it's the most impossible situations.